We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to the Guilty as Charged podcast, Monday Mailbag. If you're watching this on Monday, hello, YouTube members and Patreon supporters. How are you? If you're watching this after Monday, it's because you are a member of the regular public. And I appreciate you for being here and watching this mailbag. And if you're listening to this, welcome as well. Hello, how are you? This will be the last thing that I do this week, I think. We're trying to take a two-week break. I don't believe there's a chance that I can take a full two weeks off after just taking a week off, but we'll see. But I did want to get this done, and I think next week we'll do the mailbag as well. So what is on today's mailbag? I'm glad you asked. Aloha. I am back from Hawaii, so I am in my spot doing my thing. Can't wait to do the first mailbag back. And the first one, the first question, comes to us from Wrong Speedy on YouTube, who asks, are we actually going to stop the run this year, or are we all being bamboozled right now? Good question. And yeah, we've, we've talked about this a bit, and Daniel Popper has alluded to this in his articles as well. There are upgrades on defense, for sure. The defense will be better, and the pieces that are brought in specifically to stop the run are better than pieces that were there last year. But are we really going to be able to stop the run overall? You know, it sounds like we might be able to, but are we really, are we about to be bamboozled? Let's talk about it. So last year, we've talked about all the stats. You know how bad it's been. So I just wanted to bring up something slightly different to talk about the run defense. The expected points contributed by rushing defense in 2020, negative 3.97, which ranked 15th in the league. In 2021, that jumped to negative 41.6 expected points contributed by the rushing defense, which was 31st in the NFL. I don't recall who was 32nd, but either way, 31st is not great. In terms of missed tackles, now they had one more game in 21, uh, 2021, but in 2020, they missed 109 tackles, which ranked 15th in the league. In 2021, that uh, number was 127, and they ranked 30th. So went from about middle of the pack in those two categories to one of the worst top three worst second worst uh, in terms of expected points contributed by rushing defense and third worst in missed tackles not great especially for a defense that wants to be able to play more defensive backs and less um, stacked fronts so why won't it get better there are plenty of reasons that it will get better i do believe the run defense overall if everybody's healthy will be better but there are two reasons 
it won't get better. One that I don't think is really talked about enough is that the corners and safeties on this team do lag in run defense overall. Derwin James, not as much, but most of the rest of them, yeah. And if you're looking at 2021 missed tackle rate and run stop rate, it's not great. There's not a single player among the Chargers, this current roster that is, in the secondary that either played notable snaps or is projected to play notable snaps that ranked in the top 50 in missed tackle rate. Now, you obviously want to be number one. I mean, you didn't miss any tackles. They're down a single player that is in the top 50. The only one that is close is obviously Derwin James at tied for 51st. Otherwise, you have Michael Davis at tied for 91st, which is a little funny to me because everyone assumes Michael Davis is, is the worst run defender on the team. But in terms of making tackles, he's better than most of the other DBs on this team, at least in terms of last year. Anywho, Michael Davis tied for 91st. Nasir Adderley tied for 133rd. JC Jackson tied for 136th. Bryce Callahan tied for 146th. Asante Samuel Jr. 160th. And if you took JT Woods' missed tackle rate in college and just placed it among these defensive backs last year, he'd be 151st. So the Chargers, they have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven players projected to take the bulk of the snaps in the secondary. And of those seven players, all of them did not rank in the top 50 in missed tackle rate. And five of them were outside of the top 130 in missed tackle rate out of 166. So we're talking about guys that are, you know, 40th, 30th, 20th, 10th percentile in missed tackle rate. And that's your secondary. Now, are these guys being paid to cover? Yes. Are they being paid to stop the run? Not as much. Did they draft JT Woods because they just wanted a pure run-stopping safety? No. That's not why Brandon Staley has these defensive backs. But them being that bad in missed tackle rate is not going to help the Chargers, especially when you look back and see that the Chargers were 30th in missed tackles last season. And now you either add guys or bring back guys or draft guys that are not great in terms of missed tackle rate. And you look at run stop as well, the run stop percentage, a couple of better performances there. Derwin James tied for 47th out of 173. Nasir Adderley tied for 41st out of 173. But then again, you look at Michael Davis, 116th. JC Jackson, 157th out of 173. Bryce Callahan, 116th. Asante Samuel Jr. tied for 99th. JT Woods tied for 91st. Again, if he took his college stats and put them into the NFL stats last year, which I know that's not how it works, but just for some reference, not great. And I would assume that JT Woods might have even more of a problem making tackles, open field tackles in the NFL, at least in that first year, because it's the NFL and things are very difficult. I don't expect him to fix everything immediately. So overall, the defensive backs, while I do believe the coverage will be far better and the third down passing defense will be much improved. And I do believe they'll have more interceptions, force more turnovers and all that jazz. I think the defense is going to be better. But if we're just looking at stopping the run, they didn't really bring a lot of run-stopping capable guys. Well, they they do have run-stopping capable guys, but I would say based on last year, that we're not quite there yet. Like if if we're getting a repeat performance of what they showed last year, where they were, you know, bottom third in the league in missed tackle rate, run stop rate, then we're going to have a problem, especially when things sort of break down up front. The second reason that things might get worse this year or at least continue to be worse, personnel decisions. And some of these things, it's a bit of an you know, if, 
but sort of thing. You know, we don't really know these are going to happen. But, you know, Kyle Van Noy, they brought him in to be edge three. Is he on the decline? Last year, you know, his, his run stop rate was 4.9. And that was 48th out of 54. Now, that was among linebackers. So I don't know where how that would have been divvied up if he were a, you know, just a pure edge rusher. So maybe things change. But 48th out of 54 last year. What if Kenneth Murray and Jerry Tillery start? One of them is going to start, and Jerry Tillery might also start. What if they start and don't make that jump? Last year, Murray was 97th out of 98 in run-stop rate, and Tillery, which you know, we've talked about this a billion times, 75th out of 83rd, so not great there. What about when you lost Kaiser White? Did you do enough to make up for that? So what if Kenneth Murray can't make that jump? What about the guys after Kaiser White who are supposed to be you know, the supplement, the LB2, the LB3? Tranquil's missed talk or run stop rate, 83rd out of 98. Troy Reader's 94th out of 98. And we'll get to these numbers a little bit more in a table in a second. Braden Fajoko, your, your best run, pure run stopping rotational defensive tackle on the team. It's really classified as a nose tackle at this point. He was first out of 163. Now, granted, only, you know, this is at the 50 run defense snap minimum. I believe he had 60 something run defense snaps. But he was first out of 163 ahead of Sebastian Joseph Day in that threat snap threshold cutoff. Christian Covington, 120th out of 163. And Otito Agbonia in college was tied for 96th out of 199. So not great there. So if Kyle Van Noy has a repeat of last year where... And listen, I've only watched one game of Kyle Van Noy's against the Patriots. Or excuse me, against the Bills. He can do a lot of things, rush the passer, cover the quarterback, quarterback spy, um, you know, cover the tight end, cover the running back, whatever. But stopping the run and setting the edge didn't seem to be his strong suit in that one game that I watched. And the run stop rate does suggest that that's true. So I don't know about Kyle Van Noy, but we'll see. You know, does Kenneth Murray and Jerry Tillery, did they not make the jump? Possibly. Does Kaiser White, the loss of Kaiser White, can they fill that? I don't know. You know, what, what if they cut Braden Fajoko and they're down to rotational guys that can't stop the run? Those personal decisions could hurt them. And, and here's where they're at with their run defense. So you have Sebastian Joseph Day and Austin Johnson, who are 98.8th percentile and 89th percentile, respectively, in run stop rate in terms of 2021. After that, you have... Jerry Tillery, Khalil Mack, Joey Bosa, Kyle Van Noy, Morgan Fox, Christian Covington, Kenneth Murray, Drew Tranquil, and Troy Reader. All of those players, the big key factors in this defense, are projected to be at least, all of those front seven guys are below 30th percentile in run stop rate. You have Austin Johnson, Sebastian Joseph Day, and a lot is riding on those guys. And listen, if they're healthy for 17 games, fantastic. The Chargers will have a much improved run defense. But if they're not, the drop-off between Sebastian Joseph Day at 98.8 to Christian Covington at 26.4 percentile is huge. If Austin Johnson goes down and they decide to you know, cut Braden Fajoko and Fajoko goes elsewhere, who's replacing him? Is it, I mean, is it Christian Covington at 26.4? Is it, you know, does Sebastian Joseph Day slide, you know, to nose tackle? And now we have to put Morgan Fox on the field at 28.2 run stop rate percentile. I don't know. There's a big concern there. And then you look at the linebackers. I mean, geez, 
Drew Tranquil is your good standout at 18.2 percentile. Kenneth Murray, 0.9. Troy Reader, 5.5. Not great options up front. So they're relying heavily. I think it's the whole point of this. They're relying heavily on Austin Johnson and Sebastian Joseph Day to be excellent run defenders because the rest of the front seven around them did not show last year that they could stop the run consistently and at a high level. Chris Rumpf was at 83, you know, almost 84 percentile. That's great. But he played 72 run defense snaps. So we can't completely rely on that. Although it's as an edge four, that's very solid. Like if he continues that trend, good for him. But it's it's a slim pickings after that. So and we talked about the corners and safeties. They don't have great missed tackle rates. They're not great at run stop rate. And then you have <laughs> Jerry Tillery, Khalil Mack, Joey Bosa, Kava Noy, Morgan Fox, Christian Covington, Kenneth Murray, Drew Trinkle, Troy Reader, all under 30th percentile for run stop rate. I think you're right, Wrong Speedy. I think there's a chance that we are bamboozled because they're relying heavily on a couple of players. Next one is from Stephen Gallard, who asks, which players surpass their 2021 production and who will fall short of their statistical success? Good question. A couple of ways I could have gone with this. Honestly, every player can surpass or fall short of their previous season. I wanted to find guys who could take a good chunk, a, a good leap forward. So let's start with the guys that I think will fall short. And it's not really a knock. It's not like not all these are a knock on the player. I just think they'll fall short of what they did in 2021. Two honorable mentions. One is Austin Eckler. Why? Because they have Isaiah Spiller now. In theory, Austin Eckler should not touch the ball as much. In theory, Joshua Kelly, Larry Roundtree, or Kevin Marks Jr., or Letty Brown, whoever, they should take a step forward or be half decent or be even below average. That'd be nice. So Austin Eckler, the, he shouldn't have to shoulder the load as much. And last year, he led the league, or tied with Jonathan Taylor, with 20 touchdowns and was sixth in yards from scrimmage. So the odds of him surpassing that with Isaiah Spiller now are low. So I, I think he does drop down a bit. It would be hard for me to see him surpassing that number. Now, he, I believe he did miss a game. So I think there, I guess on, if he played all 17 games and had the same per game stats, I suppose he could. But the odds of him hitting you know 20 touchdowns again, it seems really slim to me with all the additions that they have. I think Kyle Van Noy, this is a guy with you know, 30, 20, 30, whatever pressure it is. I think it was like 26 pressures last year and five sacks or whatever it was. He's just no longer going to be that starting edge two, you know, on a defense. Now he might for some games, but he is the edge three. So just, I think just naturally his stats are going to come down. All right. So let's talk about guys that are, like, I really think are going to have a drop off. Uh, one, Jerry Tillery. Hmm, I don't know how much, how big the drop off is going to be, but these are the guys I wanted to focus on. So Jerry Tillery, his 2021 stats, 31 pressures, five sacks, 22 run stops on 858 snaps, the sixth most among defensive tackles. Yes, the player who is that bad had the sixth most starting defensive tackle snaps. Woo. The reason that he does not match that. Now, these aren't great stats, so I, I guess he could top those numbers. But at this point, what we know about Jerry Tillery is they think he has to fight for his job. His fifth-year option has not been picked up. They don't view him as a you know sure starter, a proven starter. They now have Morgan Fox, and Morgan Fox could start ahead of him, even if it's a you know 51-49 split for starting defensive tackle. 
that's way fewer snaps than you know the sixth most in the league last year and then you have guys behind him otito Egboni and christian covington those guys are going to be part of the rotation and i think they're going to eat his snaps as well the other one is mike williams uh which would be a mild disaster considering that they they paid him 20 million dollars a year but it's really like a two-year 16 and a half million per year contract so whatever will he live up to his contract maybe maybe not he might but i i think he is going to not pass his 2021 stats which isn't a, a horrible thing 70 he had 76 receptions receptions 1146 yards and nine touchdowns it's a good stat line and i i just don't know if he's going to surpass that if you ask me if, if he's going to go over that or below that i would say below because the first reason is that it's an outlier year now he's never had the combination of justin herbert and joe lombardi and shane day and you know this offensive system with a better offensive line and whatnot but it is an outlier and it wasn't a contract year like that this could be the best we're ever going to get of mike williams which is fine but it could be the best. Like the odds of him going over this number, I think are, are lower than him going under this number. Reason number two is there was a legit cold stretch between weeks four and 13. First three weeks of the year, oh my goodness. What a completely changed different player. And even the usage was so much more different than the rest of the year. Those first three weeks, capping it off against that game against Kansas City. Who was that? What a dynamite player. But after that, there was a real cold stretch. Now, some of that is because of injury. I believe it was against the Ravens or against the Browns. He got hurt and then the Ravens, he wasn't really out there. So I guess I can't hold that to, against him too much. But of the three touchdowns and 449 yards he had over that stretch from weeks four to 13, three of those touchdowns and 167 of those yards were from busted coverage. And you probably know which two or which three plays those were. The two against the Browns and the one against the Steelers. You know, somebody bit, someone didn't pick up their responsibility. Mike Williams got a free three touchdowns. And those were the only three touchdowns he scored from weeks four to 13. And, you know, 40% of his yards came from busted coverages. Now, I'm sure that most of the receivers in the league, you could do this for. But we're talking about whether he's going to, you know, surpass that, this his 2021 number, or go below it. I, I think if you look at that stretch and that he really had, what, 34 yards per game, 35 yards per game, whatever it was. I think there's a chance that that might be Mike Williams as well. Hopefully not because they paid him a lot of money, but we'll see. Reason number three and why I have to bet the under as well, his health. He's never consistently healthy. If it were someone, you know, that plays 16 games consistently, now 17 games consistently, that doesn't, you know, show signs of injury throughout, you know, a handful of games per year. Maybe he'd maintain his stats. But Mike Williams is not a guy you bet on to stay healthy. He's just not. And he's shown that, you know, shoulder, ankle, knee, whatever it is, he hasn't stayed healthy. And so I think that's a reason to, to bet the under. And finally, you do have the emergence of Josh Palmer. They brought in Gerald Everett, who will help them attack downfield more and be a more of a possession wide receiver presence that should take away from Mike Williams. You have Jalen Guyton, who finished really hot last year. You have Isaiah Spiller, who's now going to be a much more involved receiving back. And you have DeAndre Carter, who can push the ball vertically, or they can push the ball vertically to him. So guys like Palmer, Everett, and Carter, you know, some of Mike Williams' role can be 
not copied, obviously not, but it can be replicated by these guys because they can work downfield. As I said on the show yesterday, you know, they subbed Josh Palmer in for Mike Williams because Mike Williams was gassed at the end of the Raiders game. Josh Palmer scores the, you know, the game tying touchdown or whatever it was, or at least the, the touchdown to get to the two point conversion or whatever it was, you know, or, or the play against the Patriots, right? He caught that huge touchdown in the end zone against the Patriots. So I think just with all of that, not a shade on, you know, no knock on Mike Williams. He might have a very solid season, but I think he's going to fall short of what he did last year because of everything that I talked about here. All right, who gets a boost? A little more positive here. I found more players would get a boost than fall off, in my opinion. Maybe you disagree. Honorable mentions, one of them is Josh Palmer. He, they didn't really involve him all that much to start the year last year. So I think that you know if, if they just take his momentum from last year and bring it into this year, then I think he should start hotter and he should potentially have more yards, more involvement. But he is still the wide receiver 3B right now, and it kind of showed even in practice footage that we've already seen, right? Herbert was throwing to Guyton, and I think either Daniel or Stick, they were throwing to Palmer. So Palmer isn't quite the wide receiver 3 right now. And so I think there's a chance that he has, there's an uptick there. But I'm not going to bet on it. He's an honorable mention. Uh, two more, Donald Parham and Trey McKitty. I think that there's just a natural uptick in their roles. Trey McKitty should have more targets this year, just naturally. I think he will. Donald Parham, hopefully he does. Like if he just plays a full season, he's going to naturally have more stats. And then finally, Asante Samuel Jr. To me, like he, he, I would put him in the like out of the honorable mentions category and into like the main category. But he did play a significant number of snaps last year. If he avoids concussions, though, like he's going to have a very solid season. Um, but you know, it's hard to project the boost that he's going to get because he is a defensive back. It's not like he's going to get you know fifty more tackles like a linebacker or something. All right, so the first guy to get a big boost should be Chris Rumpf. Why? Reason number one, his numbers aren't that difficult to improve on. Four pressures, one sack, seven run stops, not many snaps. And he is still the edge four, but I think you know, we've been hearing that he's developed further into the NFL. He's added more weight to his frame. Now he gets to learn from Khalil Mack, Kyle Van Noy. You know, he's going to be about in his same role that he had last year. But naturally, because the numbers were so last so last year i think he can take uh, a good step forward and have a nice boost to his stats now what are those stats you know he had again four pressures one sack seven run stops if he triples those numbers it's you know 12 pressures three sacks <laughs> so will he be able to do that i don't know i hope he can another one is gerald everett and this one's really easy for me he had 48 receptions 478 yards and four touchdowns the reason number one reason number three on this list is because of justin herbert he gets to play with Justin Herbert and they're going to be throwing the ball like crazy. And if he's going to slide into a more dynamic role than what Jared Cook had, boy, he's in for a career year. We all know that that's part of the excitement of bringing in Gerald Everett. Not that he's the best tight end they could have signed, but because it's a good you know, value signing and Herbert's going to make the most of it. But also there is Kevin Coger. I think Kevin Coger is arguably the best position coach on, on the team based on what he did in one year. I, I had no idea that, Steven Anderson was that kind of player. And Kevin Cooker is like, yeah, I'll just I'll just make that work. And then poof, Steven Anderson is a legit H-back blocking tight end do-it-all guy for them that I, I honestly wish was involved more. You know, he did some work with Trey McKitty as a blocker, with Donald Parham as a blocker and as a receiver, getting them involved. Yeah, I think he did a wonderful job. So you're working with Herbert, you're working with Cooker. I think you're in a place for some really good success. Uh, Jalen Guyton does get a bump from me. And there's really one 
main reason. Um, last year, he had 31 receptions, 448 yards, and three touchdowns. It, uh, injuries, I don't believe, have ever been a real problem for him. So it's not like he's going to play more snaps. But at this point, like he is the unopposed speed threat. This is going to be his final year under contract with the Chargers, probably. But he's he's really taken a nice step forward every year. So I think there's just another step forward that Guyton could take this year. And listen, he, we, I, I totally get it's seven on seven or whatever it was, but we did just see him catch a bomb from Herbert right over J.C. Jackson. So there is something there. He is currently the wide receiver three. He's the unopposed speed threat, and he did finish strong to the season, and he is building trust with Justin Herbert. The main reason, though, is that the offensive line should be better. There should be more deep shots. Arjun has talked about how he's heard and he's read that the reason the Chargers weren't taking more deep shots is not because of the talent that they had, although it would certainly help to have a Jalen Waddle, is because of the offensive line. And now that the offensive line, cross your fingers, should be better, they will be able to attempt more deep shots, I hope. And then, of course, Kenneth Murray. Why would Kenneth Murray get a boost? Because he'll actually be on the field. And like him just being on the field and playing more snaps, he should just produce more. I don't think there's any argument there. But there's also, he's just in a much better situation. There's a better interior defensive line and edge group in front of him in terms of stopping the run, I think. And there's more stability. There's more stability for him on and off the field. He is the clear-cut, 100% starter, inside linebacker for better or worse and he's going to stay there they're not going to move him to edge and do this and do that no he's a linebacker they're going to focus on him there and hopefully that should do him some good okay so a couple of you guys have asked i don't i don't really want to get into this uh, and i'm not so i'm just going to address it for those of you that asked what happens to the team who do they sell it to i don't think anything happens to the team i, I think the team stays where it is I don't think the Chargers, I don't think Dean Spano sells it. I can't pretend to know what the legal this or that is. I'm not saying that, you know, he's innocent. I'm not saying she's wrong or whatever. I just don't think anything's going to happen with the team. I think it, you know, if anything happens, somebody gets more money out of this or a higher stake or whatever it is. But I think the team stays with the same owners, in my opinion. And for what it's worth, not that I'm some Spanos apologist or whatever, but I really hope whatever happens to the team and with ownership, I hope that Staley is allowed to be able to continue to make these moves that he's been making and work with the team that he has and be aggressive. The changes in philosophy where it's, you know, I might sign a, a really expensive corner who isn't perfectly squeaky clean in terms of off the field resume, or I might go trade for a blockbuster edge rusher, or just the fact that they do take linemen who are elite linemen prospects in the first round. That's all big for this team. And so I hope Staley gets to continue to make these decisions no matter what the ownership is. But let's move on from that. Next one is from Envy Talon. Who are you most excited to see in a preseason game? Bonus, could you shout out my son Kyle Kyrie, who turned three this weekend? Well, Envy Talon, absolutely. Kyrie, happy birthday, man. I don't remember being three, but I'll tell you what. It sounds like you probably had a really good birthday this past weekend. I believe it was couple of days ago so whatever your birthday was happy birthday your dad i don't know his full name um, but envy talent he has always been very very supportive of the show and if he's that supportive of us then i know he's going to be so much more supportive of you and all that you do hopefully you're a chargers fan don't grow up rooting for the opposite team uh like i did with my dad and the raiders uh, happy birthday and yes let's get to your question who am i most excited to see one through five no particular order 
Jamari Salyer, Isaiah Spiller, Jerry Tillery, JT Woods, and Xander Horvath. Obviously, the rookie class is going to be you know, part of the reasons guys I'm most excited to see in the preseason. Salyer in particular. Now, we did see Hymas last year, but I do really want to see what Salyer can do, I'm assuming as a left guard, against, yeah, it's backups, but I want to see what he can do in the league. This is a guy who went against Ojabo and Hutchinson and Alabama, all these guys, and was like, eh, three pressures allowed. I mean, this guy did really well. So how does he hold up against NFL talent, even though he's already played some NFL talent already? Isaiah Spiller, I'm very excited to see. I don't know how much, how many snaps he's going to get. I have a feeling that he is kind of their clear-cut RB2, and so I feel like it'll be more of a battle between the undrafted free agents, Josh Kelly and Larry Roundtree. But still, I want to see Spiller out there. And, you know, there's just like a Telesco history of running backs in the preseason and that being the most fun thing to talk about. It's always, you know, Newsom or even Austin Eckler. You know, it's always been fun to talk about preseason running backs. So I'm most excited to see Isaiah Spiller. I'm not like really excited to see Josh Kelly, but I'm very excited overall to see the running back battle. I'm excited to see Jerry Tillery out there. Uh, I don't actually know that he's going to be out there, but at this point, it sounds like he is. He wasn't there last year, so I want to see him out there this year. It would excite me more than anything to see him out there just because that means they're putting him out there and that he has to go earn his job. And you know what? If he goes out there and absolutely destroys everyone across from him for three games, make him the starter. Then he's earned it. But at least I can say he's earned it. Even if he's not great, you can at least say he earned it in the preseason and in training camp. JT Woods, oh, I want to see him out there. This guy's, you know, as nasty against the run and as instinctive as he looks on film and as the numbers suggest. Ooh, boy. Like, I'm very excited to watch JT Woods. I'm holding off on a JT Woods breakdown for a bit because I wanted to get closer to the season because nobody's going to watch that in June. But JT Woods, man, even his missed tackles, like, there's something in his brain that just clicks. Like, a lot of guys don't have, like, it took Nasir Adderley three years to do. And JT Woods, if that, if that brain, that five-time honorable brain, can catch up with his RAS score and those physical attributes, ooh, love it. And then Xander Horvath. Look, I don't know what his role is going to be, but that's the thing. I want to see that. What is he doing? Why do they have him on the team? Is he a tight end? Is he a fullback? Is he an H-back? Is he a running back? Will he catch the ball? Will he take a handoff? Is he a goal line back? I don't know. But all those questions are going to be answered a bit in the preseason, so I can't wait to watch him. All right, last question comes to us from new YouTube member Joe Alexander, who asks, with Justin Herbert's contract looming, who are some surprising and unsurprising cap casualties that we could see? Good question, Joe. Does anybody know when Herbert's contract, his new contract would kick in? So not his fourth year, not his fifth year option, but his you know his sixth year. When would that kick in? I had to look. And do you know how many players are under contract at that time? Not many. Let's talk about it. So Herbert's six year, his six year cap hit based on, you know, again, the other quarterbacks like Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, they have their natural year four cap hit. Then they have that fifth year option. Then that sixth year is when that cap hit supposedly hits or is projected to hit. I don't know if Josh Allen has hit that sixth year yet. Has he? I assume he has. Anyway, Justin Herbert, his sixth year hit is in 2025. So he'll play with an eight and a half million cap hit next year. It's crazy that we're only in Herbert's third year. Like we're talking about his contract, but he's not even going to be in that contract, that new money contract until year six, 2025. We have a long way to go here, but still next year, eight and a half million cap hit. The year after that will be his fifth year option. And then in 2025, it'll be his year six cap hit. So who's under contract then? 
outside of the guys on rookie deals. It's Corey Lindsley, Joey Bosa, JC Jackson. That's it. Those are the only guys that are projected to be under contract at that time. So in terms of you know cap casualties, surprising or unsurprising, I mean it's three, it's those three guys. And uh, the way things are going right now, I'm not cutting Joey Bosa. I'm not cutting Corey Lindsley. If everything works out, I'm not cutting JC Jackson. There's not a whole lot of surprise cuts that are there, but we'll talk about some of those in a bit. But what about, about who could be on the team? See, Joe, I don't want to just give you the, the basic answer. I want to dive into guys who could be on the team as well. And I think this list about sums up who could be on the team in 2025. So obviously we have Corey Lindsley, Joey Bosa, JC Jackson. Then we have, I, I think this is a lock at this point, Derwin James, I would imagine unless they sign him this year and then he has you know, two years of torn ACLs, I'm pretty sure German James is going to be on the team in 2025. And then, you know, after that, it's a bit wishy-washy. Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Khalil Mack, Kenneth Murray, Asante Samuel Jr., Josh Palmer. I think those guys all fit. Now, why not Rashawn Slater? He's on his fifth-year option. So guys, you know, that had the fifth-year option, or I guess the only guy, Rashawn Slater, like he will be on the team just with that fifth-year option. So there's that. Unless they give him some new deal early, which is possible because he's already a second-team All-Pro, which is... Amazing to say. So who could be on the team? I guess who are who are the cap casualties? Now, I don't necessarily mean who's going to be cut at that time. Just who are they either going to cut or not bring back or whatever in 2025? And I'm going to start from most likely to least likely. Number one is Kenneth Murray. I think he just gets the Jerry Tillery treatment at this point. Um, you know, Tillery is a more valuable position. And I think Kenneth Murray has a chance to have a much better career for four years, or I guess three years before they decline the fifth year than Jerry Tillery ever had. But I don't see them paying top. Like if Kenneth Murray does play well, they're going, he's going to want big money, right? And he would have deserved it at the time. And I just don't see them doing that for Kenneth Murray, not for a linebacker, not for a guy who's already had two surgeries. Like it's just, bit wishy-washy, but we'll see. So I think he's the least likely to be on the team as things stand right now, but that could completely change. Next is Khalil Mack. Honestly, it could, could be a 1A, 1B here. Khalil Mack will be 34 years old. At the time, You know, his, his contract would start in 2025. And so I think that, I think they're going to have a nice three years with Khalil Mack and maybe he's back, but he will be 34. I just don't know how long, you know, he's going to be playing with the team. Hopefully, he doesn't have injuries to keep him out. Somewhere in the middle there is Mike Williams. Um, they do have a 2024 out, which I think they honestly might do. And they, they've structured it where it's a you know two-year, $33 million deal. And then that final year with the out is like $28 million. The Chargers really could get used that out for Mike Williams. Like if he has, you know, a bare 900 a thousand yards eight touchdowns misses some games isn't really healthy doesn't develop any further this could be a two-year deal for mike williams and honestly based on how they usually do this if they have that out i feel like they do use it more often than not maybe i'm wrong somebody let me know so mike williams could be out and be like mike williams is gonna be 31 years old at that time and as we talked about before but you know if we're talking about injuries and outliers and all that sort of stuff is 31-year-old Mike Williams going to be worth that next contract if he plays, you know, he misses another two games per year and doesn't really hit that ceiling? I don't know. 
So it's possible. Still, I don't know. I, I think I think they're either going to use that out or he gets another year extension so that 2024 cap hit isn't that bad. And maybe he'll be playing in 2025. Joey Bosa, at the, at the way he's playing, there's no reason to get rid of him. Like whatever his money, his cost is, keep it. <laughs> whatever it is, no reason to get rid of him. But I have to acknowledge that unless I'm reading this wrong, Joey Bosa has a $0 dead cap hit in 2025 with a $25.4 million projected cap hit. So the Chargers could let him go, zero dead money, and save $25.4 million. Now, why would you when he's, I think, still 29 or maybe just turning 30 that year? I don't know. But you have to acknowledge Joey Bosa hasn't always been healthy. Now, he's fantastic when healthy, but he in particular is bugged by concussions. And he's said that he's struggled quite a bit with concussions before. And that if he sustains a couple more of those, he might just retire. Joey Bosa, well, at this point, will have earned a lot of money, will be young, and he'll probably have, you know, maybe another concussion between now and then. He might just want out. I had a good career. I made a lot of money. I was a great player, but I went out. So we'll see. It would make sense for both teams. And then JC Jackson, his dead cap hit does decrease quite a bit. So this year it's 40 million, not going to happen. Year after that, 32 million, not going to happen. In 2024, maybe, you know, he's a $15 million cap hit or dead cap hit. But after that, you have 2025, it only hits a $10 million dead cap hit. And after that, 5 million. So right at 2025 might be that sweet spot where they could cut him. So that's the only reason he would be a cap casualty. That's all I can think of. All right. That is it for the Monday Mailbag, guys. Thanks for joining and tuning in. I hope you guys learned something or this sparked some sort of discussion. Whatever you're thinking, let me know in the comment section below. Take care, and as always, bolt up. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.